Hello and welcome back to this, our third episode uh, on the Sabbath School from Home podcast season 13. Uh, I was not here for the last episode. I'm very pleased to be back. My name's Cameron. And I'm here. My name's Lachlan. And uh, Ken uh, can't be with us. And uh, Luke is in the middle of a bushwalk in the Snowy Mountains. That's right. So and we, I spent, we envy him that. We envy very much because I spent last weekend uh, down in Jindabyne near the Snowy Mountains. Yes, Australia does have Snowy Mountains for those of you that are international listeners. The snow only is there in the winter months and we're not quite into winter yet. But you could have fooled me because the weather was very cold last weekend. So I suspect yeah. that Luke is having a cold night in a tent. Yep. Um, well, uh, Locke, let's jump in and look at this week's lesson. This week's lesson is really adamant, Locke, in, in one particular point. And it's a point that I agree with the lesson on. But it's one of those, uh, one of those odd circumstances where the more I hear it argued the less I believe it. Oh, okay. Uh, because, you know, it's one of these things, it's a bit like, this man doth protest too much. Uh, if someone walks into a room and says, now everyone, don't worry. <laughs> or everyone immediately gets worried. So um, there must be some reason the lesson picks this particular play. And I'm going to read you some passages from the lesson and see if you can pick up on the focus. I'd like to look at Revelation 14 um, with your lock and also this passage and some of these excerpts from the lesson and uh, we'll see where it takes us. So I'm reading a few excerpts from the from the days in the lesson. <clears throat> in this week's lesson, we will begin a detailed study of Revelation 14, 6 to 12, but we will do so through the eyes of grace as we listen to God speaking to our hearts. Now, one of the words I find there is a bit peculiar. I, I'm interested in the choice of conjunction. I'll read it again. In this week's lesson, we'll begin a detailed study of Revelation 14, 6 to 12. But we will do so through the eyes of grace as we listen to God speaking to our hearts. Yeah, I noticed. Now, it would have been possible to say, we're going to study Revelation 14, 6 to 12, and we'll be doing so yeah. through the eyes of grace as we listen to God speaking to our hearts. That There is something of a Freudian slip in the choice of the conjunction, but I know it almost anticipate, they, anticipates some sort of pushback or or, or argument, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, then it goes on in the next day. Uh, when most people think of the Bible's last book, Revelation, they do not think about God's grace. When they consider God's last day message, their thoughts often turn immediately to frightening beasts, mystic symbols, and strange images. Look, I wonder why people associate Revelation immediately with frightening beasts, mystic symbols, and strange images. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the, the first comment that comes to my mind is a very flippant comment. Um, we can't answer that because three weeks into a lesson on Revelation, we've, we've hardly read much of Revelation. Um, but, the, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not poking fun at us. I'm, I'm just commenting. It seems one of, the, one of the unusual things that is happening as we journey with the lesson through Revelation 14 is, you know, last episode, we looked at the second half of this chapter. And now here we are, come finally to the, to the not even first half, the middle half, I think, really, the, the middle bit. Um, yeah. But it seems to me very difficult well, look, to, to assume we're going to really pick the imagery the way it was intended by the author if we're going to read it backwards. But anyway, let's put yeah. that aside for well, now. Look, no, no, we can't put it aside because if I go back to the first quote I read, it said in this week's lesson, we will begin a detailed study of. Yeah. 
Now, what what the author does do is the author does take some of the passages in Revelation 14, or the author of the lesson, and compare it to it, Revelation 14, 6 to 12 are treated as a combined unit to be read together. So there is some um, attention to context there. Reference is made to other passages in Revelation, but not many. What the detailed study of Revelation 14, 6 to 12 means is that we associate it with... So when we hear about everlasting gospel, so we go to the book of Romans and we learn about the gospel and mm. we hear this phrase and we go to the book of Ephesians and almost as if almost as if the passage in Revelation is really just an index. Yeah, okay. Not okay. to be read on its own. <clears throat> and there is a sense in which that's justified because I don't think the book of Revelation is meant to be read on its own. It, it relies heavily on illusion and imagery, scripture. So... I am on the side of the lesson writer in, in that general approach. I would only say that, and I, this comes from someone who doesn't know the book of Revelation well, um, that sort of approach, that sort of associative approach where you bring verses in um, from other books and other writings and other testaments in the Bible uh, doesn't need to be done to the exclusion of you know a, a reading of the passage as it was originally written by the author. So my my comment is like, what if what if we read? I know we've read some of this already, but what if we read uh, Revelation fourteen six to twelve is what they recommend. Um, we could do perhaps one to twelve, and my question is, is this a book? Uh, where's the phrase? Ah, I haven't read this quote yet, Locke. Sorry. Um, I'll continue the quotes from the lesson. Uh, the book of Revelation scares as many people as it reassures, which is unfortunate because it is indeed saturated with grace and filled with hope. Hmm. So my question is, is it? And on that note, let's turn to Revelation 14. Uh, where would you like to pick it up, Locke? Because I know we've discussed um, passages of this before. Um, that's right. Well, well... In the interest of continuing the, the, the journey piecewise in reverse, why don't we pick it up at verse 6? Um, okay. And we'll just read the verse 6 to verse 13. Um, yep. And, and we'll, we'll see if we have reason to turn back to the earlier verses. And I'm sure if we don't meet them in this yeah. episode, we'll definitely have to get to them in an in a episode to come. Yeah. Cool. I'll start in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with the burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise for ever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. 
Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Okay, look, um, uh, perhaps this explains why they used but instead of and. We're going to study this passage, but... We're going to do it through the eyes of grace. I, I wonder why people come to the the opinion that some of this is a bit scary when it's all about the the cup of God's wrath um, and they'll have no relief day or night. Um, the, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Yeah, and this is the, it's true the word gospel is used. The angel mm. comes bringing the good news. And the good news is that God's about to start his judgment and it's going to involve a whole bunch of people in eternal torment as it's written in in this passage. Now, um, that might provide some insight into why this scares many people as it reassures. Um, I would fall short from saying, I'd stop a little short of saying that this passage is saturated with grace and filled with hope. Mm. Mm. Um, The hope hope that it actually... uh... I, I'm wanting to say the only hope, but I, I think I'd have to read it slightly more carefully, so I'm not going to commit to that. The hope that is most apparent to me is the hope at the end, which says, um, even if you die, then there, actually you can count that almost as a blessing. Um, yeah, that That is a hopeful thought, because death in our, in our social, communal, family, lived experience is always a loss, no matter how much of a relief from suffering it might be it's always a loss and a hard thing so um there is there is hope i think embedded in that idea that the final uh what is that just verse 13 uh, of the ones that we read um yeah and i suppose there's one other hope as well if you were and this is hard for us to put ourselves into the right mindset because we don't live in a situation of oppression um, in fact, we come from a culture that has, that's the, the, the white colonial Australian European culture. We come from a culture that's globally historically been the um, oppressive regime rather than the, the, the state of oppression. Um, but if you were really living the life of feeling that you were oppressed by a regime that's here symbolized by Babylon... Then, then the angel's declaration that Babylon is fallen and um, anyone who's associated through the mark um, with that sort of that whole status of the world is, is kind of in for it and has something coming. I don't think we adequately feel the, the hopeful impact of that. We certainly don't imagine that we might be on the receiving end of some of that judgment. I mean, this is... This has been the dilemma, hasn't it, in interpreting Revelation and in building a, a picture of end times. When God comes back and you know some people are going to cop it, who's going to cop it? Mm. Is it going to be us? Is it going to be them? And one of the features of the Adventist movement was a willingness to say, no, even God's church is under judgment, mm. um, <clears throat> which I think is a positive thing. I mean, that's a great contribution of the Millerite movement mm. is, is saying, you know, just because you're... Just because you're on a church attendance roll somewhere and you were baptized when you were two, that that doesn't necessarily mean mm. that you can just do what you like and God's got your back covered and He'll stand up for you. You know, everyone's subject to God's judgment. So that sort of reframing it 
inwardly um, <clears throat> is, is, I think, a true and correct reframing to do. But, of course, it does lead to, you know, this... Uh, what, what did the lesson say? Um, when most people think about the Bible's last book, they don't think about God's grace. When they consider God's last day message, their thoughts turn to frightening beasts, strange images. And there was another phrase here... Um, yeah, it frightens as many people as it comforts. Mm, mm. Uh, so, you know, <clears throat> when you do say, well, you know, God's judgment, Babylon, the Adventist church maintains that Babylon is not a secular institution. Hmm. So um, it does sort of, um, it raises the stakes a bit too about being true, real, being the real deal, a real Christian, not just, just, not just Christian in show, but a real Christian, because you know it's going to be a lot of people who think they're Christians, but they're actually part of Babylon. Well, um, this and then that fuels anxiety about saying, "Well, am I part of Babylon?" Mm, mm. Um, the uncertainty over you know who is in fact a real Christian has has is is one of the I think enduring downsides of of this particular Adventist emphasis um, in that it does tend to leave people with a feeling that they can never actually be, they can never be at peace. They always have to be stressed that maybe there's, you know, that, that one unrepented of sin or, or the, you know, um, something that's going to sort of hold them out. Um, hmm. That, that doesn't seem to be at all the emphasis here. The, the, <laughs> to me, to me, the picture here is the people who are getting what for, here in Revelation 14, um, there's not much ambiguity about it. Um, the Babylon has made the nations drink of the wine of her passionate immorality, um, and it, you know, God's God's wrath is burning against things that are that are pretty bad. That, that's how that's how I feel emotionally feel when I read it. The impact of the words convey to me not that God is snooping around trying to catch people out on technicalities and hurl them into the burning sulfur um but rather that he's he's actually coming to the rescue of people that have been you know just just oppressed and yeah. and destroyed and the, what you're saying the feeling what, i get of that what you're saying Locke, is sorry what you're saying is that the uh, this book may not be in fact written to a people anticipating a time of trouble it is a book written to people in the time of trouble. Yeah, I think, I think it, it's very likely that that's the case. Um, I mean, when it comes to just picking up on on your um, your, your focusing in on that that wording the lesson uses with grace, um, I, I think it's there, and I'm not I'm not fully disagreeing with the lesson, but surely, um, verse verse twelve, God's people must endure persecution patiently, obeying His commands. Obeying his commands is a bit of a of a, of a yeah. key word for, were... for an Adventist context. And then right at the end of verse thirteen, um, the the people that do die in the Lord, blessed they're blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. You you had a different translation. Does it say something similar? Uh, for uh, their deeds will follow them. Yeah. If you if you look at the concept of a reward, we picked this up. Last uh, two weeks ago, um, I'll do a search now for the word according in this uh, online concordance. Here's uh, a passage at the start and three pass three verses at the end of Revelation. So in Revelation 
Uh, I will strike her children dead. Presumably this is in the middle of an extended metaphor, so my apologies for breaking into the middle of it. Uh, but then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Hmm. In Revelation 20, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in this book. Uh, Revelation 20, 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Revelation 22:12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, um, there's two issues here. One of them is, I don't think it's fair to say the book of Revelation is grace-saturated. Mm. Not in the same way you say that the Gospels are. Um, <clears throat> second, it's a disservice to our own history. The Adventist church has had recurring problems with grappling, unsure, people being unsure about what do we have to do. Mm. Um, can I eat cheese? Mm. Uh, which types of cheese? Can I um, swim above the knees on Sabbath, just below the knees? Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, can I read the NIV or must I read the KJV? Or if you're a Christadelphian, must we read the original languages? Now, I admire the Christadelphians for they, they of all the people who are fussy about translations, saying, all right, then we'll go to the original languages and we'll teach it at school. Yeah. Um, that's that's an authentic position I can respect, um, more so than perhaps adhering to any of the English translations, which are all of them just translations anyway. Mm, mm. Um, but I'm getting sidetracked. But <coughs> you know what? What can we do and what can't we do? And our reading of Revelation has fueled those anxieties mm. in our denomination. Well, I think you're right. My my drawing attention to that wording was simply was not to say therefore there must be no grace in this book and i think it's actually a very helpful thing to to go looking through the lens of of grace um at a book like revelation but but my observation is exactly like what you've just said it's very very clear to me it's a little bit like when you when you go back to the to the you know um protestant reformation and you think to yourself, hey, these people were taking the Bible so seriously. Why did they? Why were they okay with slaves? Um, and mm. you say, surely slavery is just pretty counter to what the Bible says. Well, I think so, very much. But I also really sympathize with people who diligently and carefully read their Bible and, and reached a, a conclusion that was informed by the cultural context they were in. And they couldn't see um, any sort of biblical problem with slavery i almost see the same thing here i don't um ascribe to a to a sort of legalistic um the christian life is all about what you do and don't do it's all about your actions but i can i can really understand reading some of these verses i can understand why people do and have reached that sort well, of picture the other the other question is Locke, and i haven't read ahead in the lesson but what are the odds do you think that at some point in this quarter, the lesson is going to recommend to us Sabbath keeping as a definitive symbol of whether you belong to the remnant or not? Yeah, uh, the chances are extremely high, aren't they? Yeah, and um, 
how how do you say in that context then that this is a grace saturated book now i'm i'm stirring things up a bit because i think that the grace works um divide is unnecessarily dualistic mm. um so nothing happens without our works uh so you know god wants my teeth to be clean but he doesn't clean them if i don't clean them yeah and uh, God wants me to be well fed, but he doesn't go to the grocery store for me. Um, mm. You know, uh, in a few minutes, God would like me to go to sleep for my own health, but he's not going to carry me down and tuck me into bed. So um, w- when you sure draw a, a very strong divide between what we think and how we act, mm. and you say, which of us that, that really counts? Well, um, that's in, in everything. What we do does count for something, like it must, mm, mm. surely count. And and I think where the anxiety creeps in is when we are trying to pin down an algorithm, yeah. an equation. Uh, I've got a book for geeks um, that was given to me um, that's a bunch of formulas you can use for everyday life, like um, <laughs> like uh, the, the questions like, uh, should I tell my boss exactly what I think of him? And... The formula has lots of variables, things like how many years have you been with the company, how many years have they been with the company, how much do you earn, how much does your boss earn, how large is your office, how large is your boss's (laughs) office, how easy would it be for you to find other employment. And you put these numbers into the equation and it gives you a score and the score tells you whether you really should tell your boss what you think. (laughs) But it's it's almost like we imagine Peter at the pearly gates um, with a calculator. Mm, mm. And there is an algorithm, and if we can just crack it, yeah. Um, and if if you approach Revelation with that lens, you will not find it to be grace saturated. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the, all of this is reminding me of a comment that came through from one of our listeners, Carly in New South Wales, um, emailed us, and it, it, the email arrived literally, um, as I recall arrived in the inbox just just minutes after we had finished one of our recent recordings so that's just the way these things go but it's extremely topical here because this was responding um to our first episode of this season where cam you used the words emotional recoil to sort of describe your initial reaction to to hearing we were going to spend quarter of a year looking at the three angels messages in in revelation 14 and we discussed some of the issues around that and carly um had some really good comments to say um and uh, she's been around um she's been around adventist churches adventist schools um uh, her whole life and she says her reaction was of interest not of recoil and then she says the difference for me is that i've only i've really only been part of the less conservative part of our church and what she identifies here is that there are even without within adventism there are quite different contexts that you that you approach a passage like this um she she goes on a little bit further to say she she points out that the the attitudes that we were recoiling against the the attitudes of you have to believe this as a as a sort of you're in or you're out kind of test and she says they've not been her experience um and she's actually heard very few sermons and had very few conversations about the three angels messages in revelation And so she says this, So I think there is a pocket of our church that has rebelled so much against that traditional Adventist approach, the one that we're skirting around here in this episode, where we're skirting around this very legalistic, it's all about accounting your actions. 
Um, so she says there's a pocket of the church that's rebelled so much against that traditional Adventist approach that they've avoided it altogether. Um, and then she also admits that she, she knows of other people who have embraced it so much that they're on the verge of being obsessed. So she's actually finished that email commenting that she's looking forward to the rest of this season as we continue to discuss it. So that's great. But I, I thought her comment was particularly relevant here to exactly what you're saying. Um, the, you, if, you're not, if you're not choosing to come at this, or, or if, you, yeah, if you're not coming at this with the with the lens of grace, there are there are some other lenses you could bring, and they would they would give you very different emphases and very different, perhaps conclusions from from a passage like this, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah, and we we um, are quite selective. So when the angel says, "Worship God who made the heaven and the earth," we say, "Ah, very important allusion here mm. uh, to creation," and um, we have firm views on how important the creation narrative is in in framing God's entire salvation story, and we place a lot of emphasis on that. When we get to the burning lake, we say, ah, not really. Yeah, that's interesting. So so we, we don't treat the passages equally. There is there's a little bit of selection going on because um, we don't believe in the eternal lake of fire. Uh, <clears throat> so when I say we don't believe, the official Adventist position. For all I know, all our listeners might believe in the eternal lake of fire. Um uh, it's certainly there in Revelation, so uh, just believe what the Bible says, I guess. Um, and take a plain reading of the text. Um, and now, now I'm off track. Um, yeah, we use we we treat we treat the different passages differently, which is testament to the fact that we are approaching mm. this with a lens. Mm. We're, we're approaching this from a point of view. Maybe maybe the lessons. Um, I don't like the fact that there's sort of like a pretense that we've always thought it was a grace-filled book. Um, mm. There's sort of no acknowledgement that this is a, a, a position that the church is growing and, um, well, and, this... and you know, that different Adventists have different viewpoints on. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe when, the, when the lesson says Revelation is all about Jesus, what it means is this is a touchy book. There's actually some ways of looking at this book that result in very different emphases and very different take-home messages. Mm. Um if you want to access the most correct or enlightening or useful or true uh, readings, you must assume it is about Jesus and interpret it in that context. Mm. So in other words, it might be a piece of advice, not in fact a, 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 um, a sort of empirical and um, objective you know, criticism, uh, criticism is not the right word. A review of the text. Right, right. A few other things occur to me, Cam, uh, about all of this. And, and I've mentioned this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. I'm going to say it again, I think, more than once this quarter um, as we discuss this. The idea of looking in Revelation for contrasts between what is heard and what is seen. Those two senses mm. are contrasted. Even And we skipped them. Um, but even the first verses here of Revelation 14. Then I... Um, um, so, so I heard a sound um, like the roar of rushing waters. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Yeah, I'm just looking for the contrast with with seeing. Maybe it doesn't come until um, 
verse 15. Verse so chapter 15. What I'm wanting to contrast is what we've just read in chapter 14 with the start of chapter 15. Because in, in all these three angels' messages, we've been hearing the angels' messages. And in fact, I, I still am really puzzled why we focus on just the three. Because um, if you combine our last episode and this episode, there are more than three angels. And the angels have messages. Why, why do we seem to stop at verse 13 when the chapter just continues? Um, then I saw a white cloud. There's, it just continues. Um, but in verse, in verse 15, chapter 15, I'm sorry, in chapter 15, after hearing all these messages from angels, then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. And there's more angels, seven angels, seven last plagues. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue, and the number representing his name. They were holding harps, and they were singing. So the emphasis that we've had, that we just read in Revelation 14, hmm. really put a lot of, of words allocation towards the, the beast the, the the people who are missing out the missing out the the the, the passionate immorality the beast the mark of the beast the lake of fire um, and then we get to the start of chapter fifteen and we suddenly have a very similar story there are angels there are angels carrying messages and it's God's wrath uh, in verse one of chapter fifteen um, seven angels were holding the seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath to completion. So it's the same thematic material, but the emotional sense of it is really different, isn't it? Um, you know, I, on it stood the people, all the people, not just the few people, but on it stood all the people who had been victorious over yeah. the beast. There's this sense of actually there is a substantial, there's a, there's a big crowd. Um, and yeah. and I, I'm, I'm bringing that up specifically because... Um, I am a little concerned. Sometimes things that there's a widely adopted literary pattern of threes. Um, if you want to tell a good story to children, it's going to have three things in it. Um, you know, the three bears, uh, and yeah. and you know, um, I think we gravitate towards it. But in Revelation, we may be doing it at our peril. We may be seeing there a, a an automatic emphasis that might not be specifically called out as an emphasis it might be part of this rolling kind of flood torrent of of imagery and maybe we're going to need to be really careful that we do stay surfing that way rather than just getting absolutely churned up in one part of it churned up in it if someone if someone's experience of reading revelation is that they're churned up in it do they still have a place in our church hmm. well i i refer back um with positive yeah. hope to, to Carly's comment, because it seems to me that they do. Mm. It seems to me there's, there's valid experiences of Adventism that are not massively weighed down by, um, by, by lying awake at night, wondering whether you've got the correct interpretation yeah. of the, of the beast's mark in revelation 14. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess I should be transparent. I also had um, no real sermons on Revelation at all, particularly. I had some friends who went to some quite conservative churches, um, enough friends to be fluent, uh, uh, aware of, you know, 
let's say, a much more conservative, traditional um, focus and emphasis and reading of, of these texts. Um, just before graduating from Avondale, Avondale College Church decided to put on a revelation seminar and it was reasonably well done and it went in some depth and I can't remember how many weeks it was for but it was something probably like 12 or 13 weeks and then my wife and I moved and started attending Ballina Church and a week after we joined they embarked on a revelation seminar and that year nine months of the year I reckon was spent on revelation <laughs> and I've hardly recovered since I the, my feeling was, all right, well, here's a really complicated book and someone stands up and says, oh, this book looks complicated, but it's not complicated. If you just read it this way, it makes sense. Mm. And then you go through and you read it that way and you pay a lot of attention to the God who made heaven and earth, but you downplay the lake of eternal fire and you you wait this and you don't wait that. And then at the end, you have a con- cohesive picture and um, then we're all happy. Mm. Um, if If it... Yeah, I don't know. That I wasn't happy, um, and um, the lesson maintains that this is all about the revelation is all about Jesus, and I th- I think it is right. There's so many references to the Lamb. There's so many references mm. to um, to this sort of narrative at large of God intervening and saving people. Mm. Um, that I think that's the correct lens. Um, I'm going to turn now, Locke, to a comment of Christ's. On the question, uh, is it hard to get into heaven? How many people? How many people will actually do it? Because Christ was asked this explicitly. Mm. So I'm going to read to you now from Luke 20, uh, not Luke 22. It's verse 22. Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages, uh, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, "Lord, are only a few people going to be saved?" And he said to them. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and won't be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, so open the door to us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we, we ate and drank with you and taught, you, you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you are come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Sounds like not many people are going to get in, right? Mm. And then Jesus continues. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. <laughs> so so what was his answer? Will only a few be saved? He, he implied that there was some val- some validity in being diligent in in maintaining focus but then then yeah. he certainly suggested that there was plenty of room yeah plenty of yeah uh, that's right it's, it's a narrow door it's a narrow path yeah uh, not many people are going to make it but then you'll see everyone from the north and the east and the south and the west everywhere and then he makes this observation those who are last will be first and first will be last perhaps there is a warning in that about being too a warning and a comfort. There's a warning in that statement to people who are confident that they've cracked the formula. Mm, mm. And they think they've got it down. When they arrive at the pearly gates, they'll be able to show their credentials and mm. maybe maybe it's not something they've done. Maybe it's something Christ has done. Maybe it's the correct balance of the grace works thing has been pinned down and they've just sorted it all out. Yeah. But 
in this statement, you know, those who are last will be first and first will be last, there is also comfort for the person who is really worried, mm. who feels like they're last. Yeah, that's true. Well, I don't think that we've fully resolved Revelation 14, Kev, so it's probably good we've got another couple of episodes uh, yet to come. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what new discoveries we can make. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. I, um, I mean, the truth is that if they hadn't done a quarter on it, I probably wouldn't have read over the chapter. So uh, let's count that as a good thing. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, but there's lots more to talk about. Unfortunately, the, the lesson is going to talk about it all. Uh, we've, we've only dealt with uh, a small part of these three angels' messages. And the three angels' messages are, of course, only a part of a very large and complex book. So uh, we need to stop there. I'm just eyeing the clock lock. Um, but our listeners don't have to stop. They can go and send us emails like Carly did and let us know uh, what they think. And it is uh, helpful, I think, for everyone to realise the sort of breadth of experience uh, within our church. Uh, it is a broad church with and people have lots of different experiences within it. Those experiences make us all stronger. Uh, <clears throat> share this podcast with any of your friends, uh, if so you wish, and uh, join us again next week. And hopefully uh, the rest of us, uh, Ken and Luke, will be back on board. <laughs>